Meditators, today you will benefit from a deep dive into where we are in the current crypto market cycle, exactly what areas of the market our guest is paying attention to, and how to position yourself as a retail investor relative to institutions. Sharing his knowledge with us today is Joseph Young. He is one of the earliest contributors to Cointelegraph, Forbes, and has recently joined Hash, the biggest crypto venture capital firm in Asia. Joseph has been around in the space for a long time and it was great to hear his insights into the current market. In particular, it was great to talk with someone who has such a good understanding of the markets from an Asian perspective, which is often overlooked by a lot of Western investors. To stay one with the crypto market, sign up and get six free market meditations newsletters a week. Quick thanks to our partners Exodus and Nexo for making this podcast possible. There will be more on them later. Meditators, welcome to another episode of the Market Meditations podcast. Today, I have a prominent figure from the cryptocurrency space with us today, Joseph Young. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Kay. Uh, it's my pleasure. Joseph, would you be able to give a quick introduction who you are and what you do in the space? Sure. Um, so I started out as, a, as an analyst uh, in 2013. Um, I'm one of the, I think, earliest contributors to Cointelegraph. And then since then, I've been... I'm investing in the crypto space and also contributing to Forbes, um, you know, Crypto Slate and, and some of the top crypto publications. And um, two months ago, I, I joined Hashed, the biggest crypto VC firm in Asia. And I've been transitioning over from doing a lot, a lot of the analyst work um, to venture capital. Oh, well, fantastic, Joseph. So you've been through it all and name dropped quite a few amazing names there, like Forbes and Hash. Love to hear it. So you're going to be one of the people who has the best insight into the current market. So I'd love to discuss what's going on with you because people are panicking right now. What stage of the cycle is this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, people always try to time the blow off top. But, you know, the reason why it's called a blow off top is because you can never predict it. And I think that we're in a sort of like a consolidation correction phase. I don't think we're in a blow off top just yet. Um, we have seen a lot of retail dumping, in my opinion. I don't think it's been whales and um, institutional investors that have been dumping, but rather a lot of the retail investors, particularly in Asia, that's been dumping a lot recently. And yeah, I, I think the FUD um, surrounding Elon Musk and also yesterday's FUD around China was... Um, you know, a big catalyst for, for the dump. Okay, so you think the FUD has actually spooked retail investors and they're the ones dumping, but the institutions are pretty much unfazed. Right, yeah. And exactly. what makes you think that? What data in particular? Um, well, there, there are several data points, but the most prominent one in my opinion are the continuous exchange outflows. Um, if you use on-chain data, there's a lot of outflows coming from Coinbase and from Binance and across all major exchanges. And there hasn't been extremely high inflows from uh, like whale wallets or wallets containing a lot of Bitcoin. So I think in that sense, um, it makes more sense to think that it is retail dumping after the mainstream media FUD around uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum rather than institutions. No, well, that makes perfect sense. So if it's the majority of retail dumping, institutions aren't dumping. Me as an average trader or investor, what's the best course of action over here? Um, well, personally, I'm, I'm just huddling, you know, <laughs> financial advice, but I think, I think that is the best course of action. Um, because if you look at the past 24 hours, you know, $3.8 billion have been liquidated across all, all exchanges. I mean, the futures market alone, and this does not include options market, right? The options market actually saw more liquidations than March, 2020. 
which is when Bitcoin went to like 3.6K, right? So there's been like a black swan event in the derivative space. And obviously the derivative space doesn't really concern institutions at this point, apart from CME. So yeah, I think it's just been a cascade of liquidations across the board. It's been a mass flushing of over leveraged longs. And I think the flushing is still going on. Well, if the bull market isn't over, and this is a mass flushing, take a few weeks, um, how can we position ourselves then for the next wave back up? Are there any key narratives you're looking at? Any key industries you're watching right now? Yeah, um, I think I think there's still a lot of institutional interest right now. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of individual retail, uh, retail investors are spooked by the comments made by Musk and also the uh, the recent article about China uh, putting regulations, which is like from two years ago, but it was re-released by Reuters recently. But the best, I mean, there's still a very strong narrative that Bitcoin as a store of value um, is strengthening. And also the narrative that um, DeFi is challenging ChatFi, traditional finance. And, and as a result of that, Ethereum is uh, being seen as a store of value for all DeFi across the board. And... I think the narrative for Ethereum and Bitcoin are still very much intact. And of course, we're seeing um, narratives for Binance Smart Chain as like the go-to blockchain in like Asia and Southeast Asia because of its, you know, like easy to use features. And like there, there's, a, there's a very strong meme aspect of Binance Smart Chain that a lot of um, investors in Asia really like because because for them, I spoke to quite a few investors and they they sort of view it as, like a central, like a more centralized exchange type decentralized exchange, if you get what I mean. Like they, they, they're more familiar with the user interface and the whole experience. And then we got Solana, which um, obviously scales um, much better than the other blockchains. Have really big transactional capacity, which developers really like. So I think the narratives for the four blockchains, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Binance Smart Chain, are quite strong. And I think fundamentally they're still very much bullish. Well, that's um, a lot of alpha leak right there. Thank you, Joseph. Um, some very uh, some assets that have been performing quite well for the previous months as well. I mean, Solana has shown terrific strength throughout this entire dip. Uh, do you think these are competing or there's a world where they can all survive together and all thrive together? Yeah, I think I think they can all thrive together because the, the difference, the main difference of Solana is that it's not EVM compatible, right? And currently Solana is, I think, doing about 50,000 transactions per second. And if you run like private nodes, um, I've heard from some developers that that transaction capacity could go up to like 100,000 if needed. And if you compare with that with Visa, I believe Visa is doing like 25, 25K, 20K transactions per second. So it's much faster than Visa even. And so I think um, Ethereum will always be the dominant DeFi blockchain because um, it has that network effect, like, like Bitcoin in the early days. Um, but Solana can definitely coexist with Ethereum, in my opinion, and so and so can other blockchains like Polygon and and Binance Smart Chain. But I think that when the major layer two solutions start coming out, like Optimism, um, I'd like to see how Binance Smart Chain metrics hold up, because I think the closest competitor to Ethereum right now is Binance Smart Chain, and people kind of kind of view Binance Smart Chain as like a almost like a like a testnet kind of thing to Ethereum, where when major uh, secondary solutions are coming out, people will leave Binance Smart Chain. But um, I personally don't think that's the case. I I, I see longevity in, in the Binance Smart Chain um, 
a community and sentiment and overall growth. So, so we'll see. I mean, Binance just as a whole have been executing fantastically on every front. Um, they're one of the largest crypto companies. They've got uh, fingers in so many different pies from uh, card payments to exchanges to uh, that marketing game being on point across multiple different social media platforms. They, they seem to be able to do everything. So it makes sense that they'd be able to pull off this um, Ethereum competitor, uh, if you will. I noticed you didn't mention... Binance Smart Chain and Ethereum coexisting and thriving together. Do, is there any synergy between the two or is that somewhat of a direct competition where each will take their own market share? Um, yeah, I think I think there's more competition between Ethereum and Binance Smart Chain, but I, I think that they could coexist in the sense that the, the, like, like the fun and the meme aspect of Binance Smart Chain always... Uh, appeal to investors and users, um, especially in Southeast Asia. For some reason, um, there are platform, many platforms in Southeast Asia that have been seeing much higher user activity with Binance Smart Chain, almost twofold uh, than with Ethereum. Uh, for example, like Coin98 is a, is a cross-chain wallet that is used a lot in like Vietnam um, and, and just uh, many countries in Asia. And the cross-chain swap and the cross-chain like transaction volume surrounding Binance Smart Chain is like 2.5x higher than Ethereum. And so, and, and Coin98 used by like 300,000 users. So that 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 is a good like a market sentiment checker for, for Binance Smart Chain. So I think that Binance Smart Chain's metrics would probably get hurt when, when Ethereum layer, uh, layer 2 starts coming out and all the major DeFi protocols start moving on to like optimism. But um, I think there will always be a market there. And also, I think Binance. Smart, I think I think the people are discounting like how fast Binance Smart Chain could decentralize itself. I, I think they're also discounting like how fast the Binance team and like CZ could move on that. So you know, I think over the long term, uh, it, it, I have just more a lot of faith in the Binance ecosystem itself. I mean, they've survived this long and managed to stay in t on top. So I have an equal amount of faith and they're able to move fast, catch up with current trends, uh, which is always extremely important. As the crypto industry continues to mature, it's natural that more and more wealth building platforms will arise. The problem with many of these, however, is that they are often so complex that it disincentivizes people from using them. This is why I've partnered with Nexo, one of the top crypto lending platforms in the world. With over 1.5 million users and 15 billion assets under management, Nexo combines the yield earning features of crypto with the familiarity and ease of centralized finance. Nexo allows you to earn interest at a competitive rate on crypto and fiat. They also allow you to take out loans using crypto as collateral so that you have access to cash without needing to sell your investment. You can even trade directly on the web platform and mobile app in an intuitive and secure way. If you're looking to embark on the journey to financial freedom whilst minimizing time and frustration, I highly recommend you check them out by visiting nexo.io. That's N-E-X-O dot I-O. One of the biggest problems in the crypto industry right now is that there are far too many applications and none of them are very user-friendly for beginners. That's why we've partnered with Exodus. They're a desktop and mobile wallet that allow users to own their own private keys, navigate a very 
easy interface where they can view their portfolio, store multiple different cryptocurrencies, as well as exchange and earn interest on those cryptocurrencies. So if you're interested in checking them out, head over to exodus.com. That's E-X-O-D-U-S dot com. To hone in a little bit more on the specifics with regards to the DeFi space, uh, is there any general part of the DeFi space you're focusing on, be it lending platforms, exchanges, uh, and also are there any specific platforms within those areas that you're focused on right now? Mm-hmm. Um, before, like like two or three months ago, I, I used to really focus on like uh, bridges that connect a different blockchain ecosystem, like cross-chain, uh, let's say like moving funds from Optimism to Ethereum to like Terra or Binance Smart Chain, like cross chain bridges. But now I think that I think that the way things are playing out, blockchain ecosystems are becoming more isolated and stronger. I um, mean, the sense that like users in Terra are like, already sufficiently using Anchor and Mirror and different platforms within Terra that they don't really need to get outside of Terra. And same goes for Binance Smart Chain, and same goes for Ethereum. So uh, currently, I'm I'm mostly looking for uh, emerging plat emerging platforms, emerging protocols, sort of like new generation blockchain ecosystems like Terra, and and recently Clayton, um, in, in which is like a blockchain layer one being developed by Kakao, which is a messaging platform in Korea that's used by ninety eight percent of the population in Korea. And so I'm mostly looking for new like lending protocols or um, cross-chain wallets or um, just generally DeFi protocols on top of newly emerging blockchain ecosystems. Oh, those are all strong narratives and one, not ones which are too often heard, especially cross-chain wallets. Not that many people are talking about them, but there's a thriving demand and industry coming out over there. I'm looking forward to see how that space evolves. You've mentioned Coin98. I know XDeFi is another prominent one. Uh, we'll see what else comes out. It'll be uh, interesting for sure. Joseph, you've been around a long time in this market. Um, if you were to compare where we are now to 2017, where would you place us? Or do you think this market is too different to really make direct comparisons? Yeah, because um, people are always expecting because of what happened in 2014, 2017, that there will be like a four year bear market phase again. And I don't think that's the case. Like in my opinion, I think there's a big chance that we see small cycles play out over the long term. So like we go up, we rally upwards, then we go down a bit and then we consolidate for a while and then we go up again. It doesn't need to be go down 80% again and and you know do that because I, I, I think I tweeted this like a month ago where there was a day uh, where like $10 billion worth of li- liquidations happened in like, a 20, in like a 24-hour span. And I said like, if we were to see a blow off top, that was going to be it because $10 billion worth of futures are contract a lot but it didn't happen. I think we, we saw like a 10% drawdown. And even, even now, like we saw massive uh, liquidations over the past 24 hours. And yet, like the futures market open interest is still at where, where we were in February of this year. I think that um, we're in a consolidation phase for sure. And I think Bitcoin and Ethereum ranging between, for Bitcoin, like 35K to 50K and for Ethereum, like 3K to, to 4.5K isn't, isn't a bad thing at all. So for a lot of participants in the space, we don't necessarily need to go down 80% for it to be 
a harsh bear market. If we drop 40% and stay there with very low volume going sideways for a long period of time, uh, wouldn't that be equally devastating for a lot of companies in the space with less money coming in and uh, just no activity or volume? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that because of the recent super cycle and, and just the intensity of the bull market, many of the high quality companies are already well-funded um, where they, they can afford to basically go through even like a full year of operations without um, a massive upsurge, like benefiting their operations. Um, like for example, I, I've actually spoken to several like high profile DeFi projects, which many people would know. And they, they're, they're saying like, look, we have enough um, cash flow and we have enough uh, basically capital to last our full team for the, for the next five years, even if we're even if we see like a 90% drawdown. Oh, wow. Okay. In, in that instance, uh, there's enough money in this space for it to thrive for a while. You mentioned the super cycle. Joseph, could you explain that a little bit and what you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think that the just the amount of capital that's been flowing into the crypto market is unprecedented um, compared to 2014 or 2017. The narrative of uh, our institutions and even in like relatively conservative markets like Japan and Korea, we've seen a lot of institutions coming out with their own digital asset funds or some of the biggest conglomerates um, in Asia funding uh, like LP funds of, of major like major crypto funds, right? And we haven't really seen that in previous cycles because number one, there's re regulatory risk for like, one, like $10 billion companies. And also number two, um, there's just a, like, for, for a long time, crypto was almost taboo in Japan and Korea, right? And so, like, if you spoke about it, people would get upset. It, it was that kind of sentiment. And now, now that's going away. And so that's going away mostly because of the super cycle in that um, all of the cryptocurrencies, both major and small DeFi tokens, are seeing a re-rating uh, in terms of valuations and also just in terms of market sentiment. I love the amount of insight you bring from uh, the uh, Asian side of the market, which uh, a lot of our guests being Western side uh, haven't been able to give us. And it's very useful for context as well, highlighting the macro differences between now and 2017. Although I know there was a huge amount of Asian participation in 2017. From what you've said, it seems like it's not mostly institutionals. That was almost entirely retail participation. Yeah. Yeah, then Joseph, the last question I'll have for you is, uh, what do you think the most valuable tools are to stay up to date with the current markets, be it technical analysis, on-chain analysis, and fundamental analysis, whatever, and where would you say the best resources are to stay up to date with the market? Mm -hmm. I, I agree with the I agree with the sentiment, uh, like some traders say, uh, on-chain data could be psyops, like, you know, there could be, there could be funds or, or whales trying to manipulate the on-chain data to make it look like something when it's not. And so I I, I, I like using an, like a hybrid of on-chain data and other relevant metrics. For example, if you go to like bybt.com, I think I think you call it Bybit. I don't know, is it bybt.com? Uh, you can see, uh, for example, all the funding rate um, all at once across like different exchanges and different cryptocurrencies. And right now, um, over the past 24 hours, despite Ethereum going down a lot, like the funding rate was like around 0.08% across major exchanges, and the average funding rate is normally 0.01%. So you could you could see that like all the 
I don't know, a lot of the futures traders will continue to buy the dip. And because of that, um, they were like their longs were continuing to get squeezed out and the market kept dropping. So it's important to look at the funding rates of perpetual swaps and futures exchanges, futures contracts. And the second one is uh, I, I like to look at the open interest a lot, the open interest of the funding I mean, of, of the futures market like with the funding rates, because it, it really shows you like when a market is overheated or not, when the open interest is still at an all time high. And even now, like the open interest is at around $15.9 billion right now. And if you compare it, if you compare it to like January of this year, it's like 50% higher still, even with ETH, drop, ETH dropping to like 3,000, um, 2,600 and Bitcoin dropping to like $38,000. So, uh, so to recap, I think funding rates on BYBT uh, open interest on BIBT and also CryptoQuant's uh, exchange outflows, exchange inflows, and also they have the kimchi premium. I think it's called the Korean premium index. And I think that's really good to look at. Because like, if, if you actually look at the market, the market drops a lot often when the Korea premium hits like 16 to 20%, because the Korean market actually has a lot of volume. Like, for example, like Clayton, like a lot of people haven't really heard about Clayton, but it has like a $10 billion valuation in Korea, right? In, on, on Bitcoin. The, Joseph, the, that is a lot of information for listeners to take away and utilize loads of specific, great detailed ways to look at the market. And I think what you've done quite beautifully is give us a lot of hope, Joseph, uh, a lot of hope that this definitely isn't the end of the bull market. And uh, things could be very different this time, not like 2017, 2014. Um, links to all your platforms, Joseph, will be in the description below. People will be able to find you on Twitter. Is there anything else you'd like to let our audience know about so they can help find and support the things you're doing in the space? Um, I, I think that's pretty much it. You know, just support me on Twitter. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I mostly write on Forbes and Cointelegraph and also um, I think I think over the I think over the next few months I'll be writing a lot about investments that we make at hashed. And so yeah, just just keep an eye on that. Beautiful. Joseph, thank you so much for your time. Meditators, that's it from us on uh, a quick market update, something we haven't really done before, but I think will deliver a tremendous amount of value to all of you. And I'll see you next time. Joseph shared an invaluable look into the market, which could not have come at a better time given the huge price movements we have seen over the last few days. Crypto markets are incredibly fast-paced and such a significant price movement can have major long-term impacts. To help keep you up to date, I have my team of researchers write six free newsletters a week. To access this, all you have to do is sign up at farooshak.substack.com. Joseph touched on exploring new DeFi protocols on emerging blockchain ecosystems. We had SciKeeper, founder of the DeFi protocol Saffron Finance, share how to find the highest yields in DeFi and what emerging blockchains he was paying attention to. Make sure to also check out that episode if this is something that interests you.